Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. If you missed our big announcement yesterday, I don't know where you were. Maybe, maybe it's just difficult to get up on a Monday. Maybe you just uh, you skipped the Monday show for some reason. You're just cranky. Maybe you woke up like Trevor Hayward this morning, not feeling so hot. Trevor Hayward's voice is an octave lower than normal today. I, I, today would be a lovely day to have him debut on the show, but I don't think it's going to happen. His microphone's not up to snuff or whatever excuse he likes to make. We do have an excellent program for you today, a couple of very good soccer, American soccer topics on deck. We're going to talk to Jonathan Tannewald from Philly.com. He's got a good piece on the progression of the MLS TV deal, ESPN, Fox, and Univision obviously partnered up and gave a lot of money to MLS. He's got some good quotes from Amy Rosenfeld over at ESPN there. The ratings numbers themselves. Good to talk uh, business of soccer or business of marketing soccer with Jonathan Tannenwald. And then Neil Morris from WRALsportsfan.com will join us to talk about the potential sale of the Carolina Railhawks. This uh, popped up yesterday, a couple days ago. Traffic Sports is the owner of the Carolina Railhawks. They are a major investor in NASL, obviously. The Brazilian conglomerate. You see their ads whenever you watch a CONCACAF match of any type, whether it's International or Champions League. Speaking of Champions League, man, who's ready for that? Who's ready for CONCACAF Champions League. We'll, we'll get to all of that. We've got some other things to talk about. Again, two very excellent guests. If you missed our news yesterday, I'll recap very briefly. Soccer Morning is going to be starting on Sirius XM FC Channel 94 starting on May 4th. We've got the 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time slot. We're looking forward to that. The web show will still be around. We'll still be at World Soccer Talk. Well, that will start at 9 a.m. Eastern. So you'll get us for three hours every day if you happen to subscribe to Sirius XM, which I highly suggest you should do. You don't want to miss out on anything. Certainly don't want to miss out on the potential on-air debut of producer Trevor. Because it would be great to just one day actually add, like, actually have this. It's been so, it's been promised. It's become a joke now. Well, maybe it was a joke before. That producer Trevor was going to come on the air at some point. Now I love it. we've added call screening duties to uh, uh, to, every, to to what is to his daily activities, and he's obviously producing the show. He's booking all of the guests, doing all of that work. Uh, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just you know, this is what this is what producers are for. He got to earn his cash. Got to earn his money. Let's do the uh, let's do the news today. Champions League in Europe, Barcelona and PSG. Barcelona going home with that three one aggregate lead, a big advantage over. Paris Saint-Germain looking dire for the French side. Meanwhile, Bayern Munich's looking to turn over a 3-1 deficit that they picked up in Portugal against Porto. And uh, look, we we know that there's some injury concerns with Bayern Munich. And that's a team beset by some absences. David Alaba, there's a lot of guys missing for Bayern Munich the last time around. We'll see what they put out there today. Uh, In the Champions League tomorrow... I'm doing this out of order, Trevor. I hope you can handle it. In the Champions League tomorrow, Karim Benzema has been ruled out for Real Madrid. So they're going to miss him. They're going to miss Gareth Bale. They're going to miss Luka Modric. That's uh, three major parts of that Real Madrid side. 
as they go up against Atletico Madrid in the second leg of that tie as well. In uh, in American soccer, this is American soccer news, right? Steve Trondolo named assistant manager at Hanover. The mayor of Hanover, Steve Trondolo, American international legend. I'm putting him on legend. Is that fair? Is that right? Is that the right way to go, Steve Trondolo, American soccer legend? I don't think I'm wrong when I say that. So uh, good news for Steve. He is on a rocket ride in terms of his coaching career. Does this mean he's going to get a managerial job next year, the year after that? No, maybe not. But they certainly love him at Hanover. And now being named uh, an assistant manager is, is clearly a step up. He has been, been doing uh, good work there in Germany. We know about the uh, Minnesota FC United, Minnesota United FC, excuse me, rise to MLS. The announcement in Minneapolis by MLS with Dr. Bill McGuire and assorted dignitaries, the uh, the Dark Cloud supporters group making a bunch of noise, everybody very excited for MLS to come to Minnesota. They have to get a stadium deal done. And then we covered the news that the team intends to pay for the stadium themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that there doesn't have to be some sort of public involvement, some sort of civic involvement by the city or the local government. But it does mean that the cost of the stadium will be taken over or be, uh, will be taken up by the team itself, which is a, a good way to get a deal done. Let's be honest about it, especially in this environment of stadium building. But it is interesting that the Minnesota State Senate has decided to pass a bill that bars any public money, state money, not local, county, city money, but state tax dollars from being spent on the soccer stadium in downtown Minneapolis. The widely bipartisan 61-4 to vote in favor of the ban came during debate on a broad budget bill covering state departments and operations. The Senate later approved the full bill, but a companion House bill funding state government does not currently include the soccer stadium provision. Now, here's the thing. As I sort of said, this, is, this stadium deal is going to involve the city or the county or whatever the local government is. The amendment's effect may be largely symbolic. In any case, the private group that landed Major League Soccer franchise has not asked for a direct, direct state subsidy. And the state amendment does not tie the hands of elected officials in Hennepin County or Minneapolis who are likely to be involved in funding, to- funding talks. So why do this? Why do this except just to take a shot at soccer? I don't, I don't really understand. What's going on, Minneapolis? I mean, sorry, Minnesota. Not Minneapolis. What's going on, Minnesota? Speaking of Barcelona, Barcelona president Bartomeu has said that Lionel Messi can stay until he retires. He scored his 400th goal for Barcelona over the weekend. And look, I mean, this is one of those, those quotes that makes the news that's not news. Of course, Lionel Messi can stay at Barcelona until he retires. Or until somebody comes in with a insane bid that is so large, Barcelona flat out cannot turn it down. And I, I don't know that it will ever come. Because as Lionel Messi ages, of course, his price will come down a bit. He has less years left on him. So then you go, oh, well, we're never going to sell him. He will be at Barcelona until he decides to hang it up. And, and the sense you get is that Lionel Messi is, a, is the kind of player who would be more than happy to spend his entire career at Barcelona. He's been there since he was 13 years old. Why would he even consider leaving? I mentioned this, and we're going to talk to Neil Morris about it. It is on the news. Uh, Traffic Sports to sell their stake in the Carolina Railhawks. The Brazilian soccer marketing conglomerate is involved in active negotiations over the possible sale of the Railhawks of the North American Soccer League, along with their first division Portuguese side, GD Estoril Praia. 
Preya Preya. Sorry about that. That's the team. If you remember your traffic sports history when it comes to American soccer, that's the team where certain uh, traffic sports players were sent in in an effort to get them some playing time, get them some training. I think Galeas Basamonde spent some time at Estoril. I think he did, uh, among others. So they are looking to sell both of these teams. Both clubs, uh, the proposed sale of both clubs was reported by Relvado.com, citing unnamed sources stating that a pre-agreement has been finalized in which traffic would sell their majority stake in Estoril to an investment group only identified as the Fidelis Company. The same article asserts that an unidentified ownership interest in the Railhawks is also part of the acquisition. So there you go. And I think we all, uh, look, we we would agree that that NESL's growth needs things like local investors in in these teams. There's a there's a reason that teams that have committed local investors tend to do better than teams that are owned by corporate conglomerates who are based far far away. So this would be a step forward for the NASL. We'll get all the details from Neil Morris in uh in just about 20 uh, sorry 30 minutes. Talk to him about the state of the NASL as well. All right, let's take a break when we come back. Jonathan Tannenwald, Philly.com, is going to fill us in on these MLS TV ratings and the outlook from the partners involved. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, joined now by Jonathan Tannewald, live from the newsroom. Philly.com. I love the background noise that we get from Jonathan. Sometimes people are on their phones, some guests are on their phones, and we get background noise, and I'm just like, no, I'm cringing, stop it. But I like the, you know, the, the hum of the, the busyness up in Philadelphia. John, how are you? I'm doing about as well as Tim Tebow is these days, which is to say wonderfully. <laughs> Don't do that to me. I can't. I can't go down oh, that he road. Did it, believe me, he did it to me. I know he did. I know he did. I know. Quite quite the uh, quite the event up in Philadelphia. Potential signing. That hasn't happened yet, has it? It, had, it happened yesterday. Oh, my gosh. It did happen. It finally happened. Uh, he did it. I can't believe he did it. Jonathan Tannewall here to talk a little bit about the uh, the business of MLS and the business of selling MLS. And we know that when it comes to um, modern sports leagues, most of the revenue that helps these teams get bigger and better and start buying better players is driven by television and television ratings. MLS is uh, in a new television deal with Fox, ESPN, and Univision. And uh, this has been a, the, the key to this, John, for a lot of people, was that this was dedicated time slots. Those two Sunday games are locked in. People know where they are. If they want to watch some MLS, they can, they, you know, they can set their watch by it. Finally, you've got a piece up at Philly dot com on this uh, on this new deal and how it's going so far. And I guess we should just get to the nitty gritty of it. What do the ratings look like, and how good of a judge are they of improvement? Well, let me bear the bad news before I bear the good news. The bad news is that soccer still does not MLS specifically in soccer. I would probably argue overall outside of the World Cup still does not draw the audience of the size of NASCAR. Okay. 
Therefore, uh, <laughs> if there is a Sunday NASCAR race that gets rain delayed, it's still going to knock MLS coverage from Fox Sports. You don't. Sports. You don't say. You don't say. This apparently came as news to quite a few people on Sunday. Well, well I mean, I, you know, again, I made a reference to this. Um, I can't remember what show I was doing. I do a lot of radio, John. I, and and I, I, don't, I don't care. I mean, it's still there. I know a lot of people don't have FS2 and HD, and that's, that's going to bum some people out. We are spoiled sports fans, not just soccer fans, but sports fans. And, and I don't, uh, as long as this isn't indicative of the commitment that Fox is making to MLS, we, we really shouldn't be concerned. As, as uh, one of my favorite follows uh, on Twitter pointed out yesterday, it's called uh, the sports TV ratings, quite simply. Is uh, is the handle? Uh, it's two million to two hundred thousand at least. NASCAR compared to MLS and any television network would make this make the same decision that Fox made. Sure, right. And, you know, again, th- that dynamic I don't think needs a whole lot of explaining quite yet. And while not NASCAR, you, you is, think that? Well, okay, but uh, there's a lot of people in Portland specifically who were really angry, and I, that's not NASCAR. Country, well, look, I, I, th- I think we we all we're all entitled. I mean, I don't know that's a soccer fan thing or a sports fan thing or a modern consumer of content thing, John. I mean, you do a free podcast and you miss one and people go back crazy. I, I get it. I understand what they're dealing with. But when it comes again, and when it comes, and, and I'm sure that, that Fox can take a rating hit on that game. Of course it is. Um, and it's not a great game to take a ratings hit on because it's two teams with, with decent fan bases. But then again, anytime it's your team, it's the game that you care about. Let's talk about the good news, shall okay, we? Okay, let's get into the good news. Okay. I talked over the week, uh, last Friday, well, I talked last week and published last Friday an interview with Amy Rosenfeld, who's the senior coordinating producer for all things soccer at ESPN. Her name, I would hope by now, is very familiar to American soccer fans uh, because she's been very involved with ESPN's coverage of MLS, the World Cup, U.S. national team games, so on and so forth over the years. Uh, and in the course of doing that, I decided to take a look at some of the numbers of MLS TV viewership this year. And I have ESPN's viewership as being up 18% this year, heading into this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And I have Fox Sports 1's average viewership, uh, about 219,000, 54% increase on NBCSN's full year average of 142,000. Okay. okay. I mean, those, somebody, are, those, are, those are good numbers. Yeah. I mean, Some, somebody pointed out to me that NBCSN's equivalent through this point in the season was 215,000. So it's not as much of an increase okay. as I initially portrayed it as. Okay. Uh, but the, the one, I'll finish, I'll be real quick, Robert. Let's yeah, say sure, this. Sure. Fox is not going to have the 1120 Friday night and Saturday night and Wednesday night starts at NBCSN. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and you, you know, I don't know how these things go, but I would imagine that, you know, the beginning of the season uh, gets a little bit more attention, despite some of the things that they're, that these uh, games are going up against, and we can outline that. But in, in, in the context is, it was important. The context of your numbers, which, as you said, you compared their, their ratings to um, the overall for the year, and also the fact that, you know, NBC, when, when it comes to those percentage numbers, I mean, certainly NBC um, had a much lower bar than, than ESPN was setting. So, and again, when you look at the 18% is, is good, 54% yes. is incredible, but that's not necessarily indicative of the growth of the audience, and yet there is growth of the audience. I think there's definitely growth of the audience, and there, there was very high variance, I would say, in NBC's numbers. You get an 85,000 
for a 11:30 Eastern time Saturday night San Jose Chicago game, and you'd get you know 400,000 for a, a right. game backed onto a big Premier League. Game. Right, and, and just to, to remind people, the East Coast is where the people live. I'm sorry, West Coasters, I, you guys are important not, you too. You do not but... need to apologize for a damn thing. <laughs> All right, so you know you, you talked to you talked to Rosenfeld. You got a lot of good stuff out of her in terms of her attitude about this, and and, and I think it's indicative of whatever the general executive outlook is on MLS as a product, you hit very hard on the notion that this long-term deal creates an investment in the sport that may not have come if it was a two- or three- or four-year uh, a four-year deal, and certainly got MLS more money than they might otherwise have gotten. There, I, I did that intentionally. I had some people say to me, oh, MLS should have done a three-year deal like the Premier League did. And then, you know, taking the growth and whatever else, and going to you know do it like every three years, so that it, it it has more opportunities to capitalize on growth. I understand that argument. Yeah, but television executives in America hate the Premier League's sure. rights, shortness of rights cycle. Right. They can't stand. They love the Premier League. Don't get me wrong. They love the people. They love the audience. They hate the fact that the rights cycle is so short. It drives them nuts. Uh, certainly, they, they 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 want to plan farther in advance than that. They want to have some sort of not only programming certainty, but they want to be able to. To scope, you know, to sketch out what what the growth should be and and where the, where they're where they're going to recoup their money. I mean, that, let's be honest about this. They're not they're not buying Premier League rights at a loss. They're trying to get ahead of this thing eventually. And when you have a longer deal, that at least allows them. Um, again, whether or not MLS is going to be worth ninety million dollars in eight years is sort of not the point. Oh, I think that's right. I think that I think that ESPN and Fox and Univision also, who's which is. For viewership beating both ESPN and Fox this year, we can get into that mm-hmm. if you want. I think they paid a premium for certainty, and I certainly think, as a fair few people do around the industry, that these networks intentionally overpaid relative to the market value of MLS because a they believe in MLS and they want to drive the growth of the American Soccer League. Mm-hmm. They wanted the certainty, as I said, and they know that ultimately the only people who can put the, that level of money into the game are the television networks, just as is the case right. in every other American sport and every other soccer league around. I, I don't think that people – I'm not sure that people really appreciate how much of a, a nitrous boost this is for MLS. Now, it, it, we concern, as, as the wonkiest guys in the room, we're concerned about, about them spending that money and how they're doing it, and we're you know probably harder on them than the average soccer fan's going to be. But, they, but everybody should recognize that nobody here in this deal had to step up and spend the money that they did. Now, remember, the U.S. men's national team rights are involved in this as well. Or the U.S. Sorry, U.S. soccer rights are involved in this as well. So it's not quite um, the, the full amount going to MLS. But again, the, even that still is overvaluation. I th- well, I think that's probably right. But I also, and, and to tack on to your point, I, 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 the, the short form of it is, at a stroke, MLS somewhere between doubled and tripled its annual television revenue. Right, right. Not gradually, but immediately. And, you know, we don't know the split of money between MLS and the national team. I have asked, a lot of people have asked, nobody wants to give the answer. Mm-hmm. But eventually you... you shake the trees as we used to do in the old Simpsons video game until the sign comes down saying no more. And, and, and it sounds to me like there's somewhere around $3 million a year per MLS team in this deal. 
Okay. Which is very nearly the size of the salary cap itself. Exactly. Which is what why people will automatically want to jump to that conclusion that MLS should be doubling its cap or, or increasing its cap by fifty percent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I would argue that the cap is too low and, and I think most people would, John, and I think you're in that boat as well. But we uh, we, we see that, that MLS has uh, at least they have sort of some sort of plan in, in place on how they want to go about the growth of the league. And, and, and a lot of it is about stability. And then let's, let's remember that the, the TV deal provides stability as well. When, you know, when, when this league started up and, and uh, the average American sports columnist was predicting its demise in three or four years, there was no TV deal to look forward to uh, bringing in that revenue to help keep the league afloat. And now we're even past the point where the league needs to be kept afloat. Quite the opposite. They were buying time. Exactly, exactly, and so and, and that's you know again that for context sake that's not that that long ago. Now I don't I don't want to nope. I don't want to say that anybody is wrong to think that MLS should be putting this money back into the product, and, and and that's really not why we're here to talk about this. We're talking about the the growth of the audience, and, and when you talked to Amy Rosenfeld, did you get a sense that um, that she was pleased with the growth at this point and? What needed to be done, or, or did you ask what, what she believed needed to be done to help improve these numbers even further? Well, Amy's a long-term thinker because she's been involved with this for so long. I think some of the question of what needs to be done to improve the numbers even further goes to one of her colleagues at ESPN, Scott Guglielmino, um, who's the guy who really does the deals. Um you won't find anybody ultimately, whether at Fox, ESPN, Univision, or anywhere else, mm-hmm. who won't say the same thing. Mm-hmm. The league gets better when the players are better. The players get better when you spend more, spend more money on the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, and, and that's going to come down to there's only about 20 people ultimately who have to make the decision to spend more money on the players. And I think at a certain point, even perhaps before the CBA ends, they're going to have to because they're going to want to. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, I, we're impatient people, and I think that's part of this as well. Uh, but, but at least I, I, I haven't seen as much of the conversation. Let's go a little meta with this, John. I haven't seen as much conversation about these numbers week to week as we used to see. I mean, I can remember three, four years ago, every time an MLS game was on television and the ratings would come out, the jokes would fly, even among the soccer fans. We're, we're, we're self-deferential kind of people. We, we know our sport is struggling to create a, a niche and a foothold in this country, especially on television, especially in a national, uh, a, a national way. And I don't know that that's happening as much. And that's, that's at least a sign that maybe we're getting out of that bubble of just the soccer fans caring. Well, or just the hardest core, anyway. Oh, right, right, right. I, I, I think that the, I have two benchmarks for this year, and they're fairly easy benchmarks to clear. One is no attendance since other t- under 10,000, which okay. so far has held. All right. Yep. Thank you, Chivas. And, and, and thank you, Chivas. Thank you, San Jose. Yes, right. Exactly. Uh, and the laggard now might be DC United, and we'll see how they go for the rest of the year. It's a, it's um, a good team. People should go out and watch them. Anyway, go ahead. Um, and no TV audience is under 100,000. Okay. All right. Bumping the Portland New York game to Fox Sports Two will put a hole in that, but there's only so much you can do about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for there, and there was going to be another game on on Fox Sports Two later in the year. I think it was a Colorado Real Salt Lake game, and it got rescheduled because of the Gold Cup. Okay, uh, so that so that Fox could have room 
uh, for the Gold Cup games on on FS1 and FS2. I, that should um, th- that's the benchmark to me because, as I said, NBCSN had games under a hundred thousand viewers, which is crazy, and and hopefully never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we, we we sort of we touched on some of the ESPN stuff and and maybe we'll get to we'll come back around to it. But you you did mention Univision's part in this and and the numbers over there are Spanish language and obviously there's the SAP option for those of us who don't speak Spanish on a Friday night. How is that going? And, and, and you know I I think my cursory knowledge of the, of the landscape clearly there is a lot of potential in the Hispanic market, and a lot of people are focusing on that market. Is that, the, is that wrong to say that's the key to all of this, or is it sort of an underrated key to all of this? It's underrated by a portion of our community, yes. Okay. Uh, and that portion of our community is not Hispanic. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> um, Univision is – their games obviously are simulcast on Unimas and Univision Deportes for the most part. Averaging 325,000 viewers a game, which is above both Fox and ESPN. Um, I've heard some people complain. Obviously, the SAP f- issues happened in the first few weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. Not all of that is Univision's fault. They provide the feed to the, 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 uh, the cable and satellite companies whose responsibility it is in turn to distribute them. Not all of them have done that. Mm-hmm. One of the cable companies in question owns a Spanish language television network that it may or may not be trying to protect very subtly, um, okay. and that cable company is based down the street from my office. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that, that, um, that's my favorite company, by the way. And they really like it when I criticize. I mean, look, I know a lot of people there who are actually soccer fans. Okay. But they know because I I tell them in my meetings with them, and I I I, I say it on Twitter. They know they have to step mm. up, and they know. They're also running a little scared right now because they're trying to buy Time Warner. And so there is an opportunity, uh, especially for the FCC, to make them play ball. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that actually happens. Anyway. By the way, I, I, bl- I totally blame that, that unnamed company for the death of Matador on El Rey. I, I know they were a major <laughs> stakeholder in that network. I'm blaming them for the death of Matador. Go ahead. Um, I know some people are not fans of, of the broadcasting style of the English language Uh Guys on on Univision, uh, Ramsey Sandoval and Paul Calagiri. I still think it's pretty cool that they're doing it, mm-hmm. and I think that you're seeing with the audience sizes that it's working. the The LA Chicago game at the beginning of the season was Univision's largest non Hispanic audience for an MLS game ever, mm-hmm. and Univision has done a lot of MLS games in its history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what they're doing is working, and if we learn a little bit of Spanish along the way, it might not be the worst thing. Absolutely, of course. I mean, it, the, the the collision of the of of the two cultural elements is is fascinating to me. Um, but both both when it comes to Spanish language and when it comes to English, um, I've had some some people come at me, and this is our friend Ray in Milwaukee, who this is a a drum he beats uh, consistently on this show. So I feel like I owe him something here. He th- he thinks there's a lack of diversity uh, represented on, especially on the English language broadcasts, obviously. Sure. Um, is, is that something that, that you've ever addressed with either Amy Rosenfeld or anybody at Fox in, in terms of, again, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's a very white crew on both of these, uh, both of these networks. And, and that's, you know, I'm not going to argue against having Alexi Lawless and Taylor Twelman on broadcast, 
but there's clearly there's clearly not a representation. We saw it with the USA Mexico game, by the way. Fox put that on, and they integrate a bunch of of, of elements and and put some some diversity on the screen. I thought it, it came off great. Let's start with the SPN. I'd like to. I think that Monica Gonzalez deserves a more prominent role, and I think that'll help. Obviously, as we saw, you know, she one of the games she interviewed David Villa in Spanish and translated it in English live on air. That's the sort of thing. Yeah, that's good. That 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 will benefit. I, part of the problem is that these networks, you know, ESPN and Fox have obviously pretty powerful Spanish language networks that they operate, mm-hmm. and they're allocating their resources to those networks for the games that they're broadcasting. Uh huh. Whether that is Francisco Rivera at Fox, whether that is John Sutcliffe at ESPN, or Tom Marshall, who is on the, the Mexican national team TV broadcast sometimes that ESPN does, yeah. mm-hmm. or Alejandro Moreno, who's usually up in Bristol doing the ESPN FC show on Sunday night. Um, you know, I'd like to see it more, but part of, part of the calculus sort of coming from the other side of that is... ESPN and Fox then deciding to allocate people from their Spanish language networks to their English language network when they're better served on the Spanish side. Right, I, I understand the separation a, a bit, um, but again, I think these. I think it's interesting to. Well, well, they they may see see that as the most efficient way to run their broadcasts. I think it's I think it's interesting, you know, in contrast to the notion that there there is some cultural collision happening here that may not. And that the the individual broadcast may not represent that cultural collision, especially oh, sure. on the English side. Sure, and and we may see some progression towards that in the future. I mean, you know, it was it, it it's it's a sign of something that ESPN put some League MX games on uh, on their main network or on ESPN two. I can't remember where they showed up with uh, with Palomo and Moreno calling those games in English. I mean, that that right there is an indication of of an acknowledgement that there is a cultural shift happening. Sure, and and. The other, the other thing to factor into this is that only in the last couple of years has there been a depth of soccer broadcasting talent in the, in the English language side of things in America that these networks really have that much depth. And there are still – I'm not going to name names, but there are still a fair few uh, – Local MLS broadcasters who are not up to standard, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, that's absolutely true. But uh, but I, I think, and I think that may be more prevalent in MLS. And and I'll come back to something that Rosenfeld said in your piece that that relates to this. But that may be more prevalent in MLS, which is still again a, a, a growing league. It's not very old. The sport itself is is kind of creeping into the the cultural consciousness. And you've got a lot of professional broadcasters in their thirties and forties who did not grow up with the sport. That's all a, a factor in this. Um, but at the same time, I've heard some pretty bad local broadcasts for the for the NHL, uh, for you know maybe not certainly the NFL is a national league they don't have to deal with that. But but uh, you know basketball broadcasters not not always the best. Even even big time college sports broadcasters not always the best. So I don't know that that that's specifically a soccer problem necessarily. Done. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, and look, I'm a hockey fan, so. <laughs> I'm a little biased when it comes to that. Okay, and as as, as the no, readers some, and the listeners some... know by now, I'm a very disgruntled hockey fan. Okay, well, there's some fantastic. Well, right, I haven't really been paying attention to that. That's my local team. I should be. Um, they, they they're... they're they're not at the moment. At, <laughs> I'll get yelled at for this, but they're not really worth uh, paying, paying attention, attention to. to until right. They prove they can beat the Islanders. All right, there you go. So, look, you have some really, really, really good local broadcasters as well in in hockey, and that's the level. Look, certainly MLS wants to get to that level. How much there the league itself is involved in helping out those broadcasts? How much the teams themselves 
are investing, and, I, and I've heard plenty of people argue over the last couple of years that while the, the national TV footprint and the money coming in from that is obviously really, really important, the growth needs to start at the local level. You need to get lots of people watching sort of in a baseball model their local team on their local sports net or whatever it is, and you, you're not going to get as many of those people if, you're, if your broadcast is not up to quality. One of the things that NBC did when it was an MLS rights holder is it very quietly and behind the scenes helped its regional sports networks that broadcast MLS a little bit in you know, offering some guidance on how to produce the game better, how to you know, get the talent a little more educated in markets where right. it wasn't. And that's not too much of a problem in their market specifically. But if your guys in your production truck don't know how to lay out the formation graphic for the starting lineup, Right. People will notice. Yeah. And, and, and coming back to that, I mean, Amy Rosenfeld directly referenced the fact that there are people who are learning, who have learned soccer, who understand soccer now, who are working on their broadcasts. And I'm guessing on Fox and on Univision as well. And she mentioned the crossover between Fox and ESPN. Lots of people moving back and forth. This is a, a maturing broadcast landscape for soccer in this country. When, when ESPN or Fox puts on the World Cup, they're going to throw all the resources they have at that tournament. That's going to be the pinnacle. That's going to be the A number one product. What, what really is representative of how we're doing with broadcasting soccer is these standard MLS regular season games. That's right. And, and we'll see it in a couple of months when Fox takes the whole, the whole circus up to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be left in the U.S. producing the MLS games? We'll see. Um, one thing also I found interesting here is uh, the notion that Sunday is not – this is not a locked-in window, a uh, couple of windows, obviously, for Fox and ESPN. This is not a locked-in doubleheader day for the rest of the contract between MLS and these partners. That if they come to the end of the season and they said, well, Sunday really didn't work for us or we didn't get as much out of it as we thought, they, they might even make a switch. I think that was just to leave the possibility open. I think if, if the ratings continue to hold where they are, and obviously the biggest test of all will come during the NFL season, yeah. but if the, if the viewership and ratings continue to hold where they are, I think they'll stick with okay. some. Well, and that, comes, that brings us back to how you view these dedicated windows, the Friday night window for Univision, the, the Sunday windows, 5 and 7 for ESPN and Fox, how you view that that move because we've been talking about it for a while and we're you know people who were interested in the ratings were excited about the 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 chance for people to know where these games are going to be uh moving forward is this is this where you think mls should be again the nfl is going to be a problem later in the year we know that uh, but you're going to have the nba and the nhl clearing out here in a couple of months and the summer will be wide open barring some baseball you know uh, uh baseball being a, a a competitor so is sunday the day I, probably. <laughs> I think the, the most important thing, and, and this is where Sunday does ultimately work the best, the most important thing is to not have any other games on at the same time. I cannot stress that enough. Right. right. Because you double the audience out of the gate simply by not having 20,000 people in four other different stadiums when your national TV game is on, mm-hmm. who would otherwise probably be watching your product. And, you know, I've said many times before that one of the things this deal cements with the Sunday nights, if they stay there, is that Major League Soccer is now the official counter-programming to the NFL. And some people think that's a good thing, and some people think that's a bad thing. 
Uh, before I let you go here, John, got to move on, but I, I want to, it just occurs to me, where are you able to see, um, you know, we get, we get those lists. Stephen Goff is, is notorious for tweeting out those lists, the top cities for watching various games. It obviously doesn't have, he doesn't do it for MLS. He typically does it for internationals, but are you able to see the breakdown and what, what markets are either underperforming, overperforming, surprising or not? I don't have a Nielsen subscription, so I don't know. I actually, I had meant to ask Fox what their top markets are, were for the U.S.-Mexico game, and I okay. straight up forgot to, so thank All you right. for reminding me. Well, no, it's just, interesting. it's just interesting to consider. You know, MLS has made the concerted effort that you're going to go into the southeast. Orlando is starting up this year. We've got Atlanta coming in 2017. Miami is still in limbo somehow. Uh, the Midwest now with, uh, with Minnesota coming in in a couple of years as well. There's going to be more expansion at some point. I just wonder if they're getting the return out of this footprint thing that they're looking for. I mean, obviously, those things haven't happened yet, so you, you're not really even considering Atlanta as a part of this. But eventually, you know, you want you want your big markets to perform. You want New York and Philly and, and L.A. and uh, Boston and D.C. to be top markets with top ratings for national broadcasts. Now, I'm no Rick McGovern, but... Um for those of you who don't know, McGovern is the last name of the infamous Rick and Philly. Rick and Philly, yeah. Oh. Um, there, are, I am. He is certainly not the only person who observes MLS on a regular basis, who looks at the Boston, Chicago, and Philadelphia markets in particular, and sees underperformance relative to what they could be. I think. I think. I mean, Orlando is doing very well. We know that, um, both local wise and 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 in terms of how it contributes to the national ratings. And we're gonna we're gonna find out a lot this coming weekend about just how big of a draw these teams that we think are the big teams are going to be on a national basis. There's a doubleheader on Friday night on Univision Deportes, Chicago versus New York City and Colorado, Dallas. And on Sunday, there's a triple header, Mm -hmm. 5 o'clock on uh, ESPN2, New York Red Bulls and the LA Galaxy. That's going to be a fascinating game. And it's going to be fascinating to see whether the Red Bulls still – the Red Bulls have historically – by MLS standards, been a pretty strong draw ratings-wise. Okay, they're undefeated. They're in first place in the East. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out what if they've still got it. I think on Sunday, mm-hmm. Orlando, Toronto at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, which will have Kaká, Michael Bradley, Toronto in whatever the hell kind of crisis it is that they're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there's some rumors floating uh, around. What's the last game? What's the last game on the schedule? The last, the last game is um, is Seattle Portland at nine thirty. Ooh, uh, so they should go. do very well. Yeah, I want to, I want to slip something in, and, and we'll see if uh, if our friends up north, especially Dwayne Rollins, are paying attention this morning. Mm-hmm. Seven o'clock kickoff time on TSN for Orlando Toronto is probably going to well, if if this Montreal Ottawa series keeps going, which it might not. Um, It would that Toronto Orlando game would potentially be at the same time. Okay, all right. So, put so, dent in T- TS- right. TSN is programming soccer up against the hockey playoffs, right? Because they don't have the hockey anymore, right? And I'm going to be very interested to see how that plays out. Uh, it should be all the way through the World Cup, by the way. Oh, interesting. Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com talking MLS TV. John, appreciate the time. Got to run. Talk to Pleasure. you soon. All right, there goes John Tannenwald. When we come back, Neil Morris, WRAL SportsFan.com will join us to talk about the potential sale of the Carolina Railhawks and some NASL news. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, joined now via Skype by Neil Morris. You'll find his uh, work at WRALsportsfan.com, specifically on the NASL and even more specifically on the Carolina Railhawks. Neil, how are you? Doing great, Jason. Always great to be on with you. It's great to have you back. Um, you know, we have uh, we have news here as, uh, as it relates to the Carolina Railhawks. A, a, an established team, you know, a, certainly a, not a legacy team the way that some of these NASL brands have been over the last couple of years, but a team that's been uh, that's been pretty pretty strong in that market, I would suppose. Uh, their own building and uh, whether or not the budget has kept up with the rest of the league is a is a different question. But at least we know the Railhawks; they've been a fixture. And one of the elements of the Railhawks last couple of years has been the involvement of Traffic Sports. Just outline for for those who don't know. Who Traffic Sports is and, and when their uh, when their ownership of the Railhawks began? As most most of anyone who's listening to this show probably knows, who Traffic Sports is. Uh, they're a Brazilian soccer marketing conglomerate, as we like to say, who have been involved in, in various aspects of of the soccer world, especially in in South America and to a certain extent North America, for the last decade or so. Um, I think they were formed in 2005. I could be wrong about that, but, uh, th- their bread and butter, as most people know, is, is broadcast rights deals, particularly with, with CONCACAF properties. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty robust, uh, deal with CONCACAF regarding Copa America and Gold Cup and the Mexican national team rights. So that, that's their bread and butter. Um, their involvement with the Railhawks specifically and more generally, well, more generally their involvement with club investment and, and club ownership uh, began in around 2005 when they founded Deportivo Brazil as sort of a youth academy uh, that was essentially designed to not only develop youth talent, but also to feed into another aspect of their business model at the time, which was player ownership, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and and uh, trying to make money off, off transfer rights, which is, I mean, traffic has had a storied history in that regard. So uh, they, they've been involved and had ownership uh, stakes in a variety of teams throughout that time. Their involvement with the Railhawks specifically began in 2011, they were already part owner of Miami FC, later the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, uh, and were part of the original Team Owners Association breakaway from USL. Right. Then when the owners of the Railhawks, the two-year owners of the Railhawks, uh, Selby Wellman, uh, le- essentially disbanded the team, uh, albeit briefly, at the end of 2010, uh, traffic came in and picked up the pieces and reformed the organization. And so they've been the, the, not just the majority owner, but basically the sole owner of the Railhawks since 2011. Uh, they, as you mentioned, they involved, uh, also involved in the, uh, in the Fort Lauderdale strikers and, and their involvement before we get into the, the potential sale here and, and how it relates to the sale of the strikers as well. Uh, do you, would you characterize traffic sports as a driving force? in the creation of the NASL when they split from USL in uh, 2000, whenever that was, 2009, seems like a million years ago, 2010? 
Absolutely. Uh, no, I believe they were the driving force. Okay. Uh, they they were the owner of only one team, Miami FC, but they they held heavy sway in uh, influence, not just in the USL but one, at one time, but when they ultimately decided to band together with a variety of other owners and, and break away, uh, they were at the forefront of that. Uh, and what's interesting it's interesting you bring that up because I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Uh, of the original teams of the of the new iteration of the NASL uh, that essentially broke away in late 2010, the only existing ownership groups that are still involved with the league are Traffic uh, and and Tom Fath up at FC Edmonton. Hmm. Uh, all the other teams have either left for MLS or left the league or they've had change in ownerships uh, most of the time for the better, but sometimes not. Uh, so that, that's a, that's an interesting, you sort of stumble on an interesting side point regarding this, that if, if this, this sale goes through, you're, you're, you're sort of cycling through a, an entirely different ownership group from the one that originally broke away from USL yep. five, six years ago. Uh, on the one hand, that's, that's interesting because it's no longer that, rebel if I'm for lack of a better word group and on the other hand it's a it's a sign that there's you know there was interest in these clubs and they and they were able to to sell they were able to find buyers which means there was a market the question now is whether you know what the market is for traffic I'm sorry for the Railhawks um and, and just a side note here Aaron Davidson who is the president of Traffic Sports USA is also the chairman of the NASL Board of Governors. So there's your there's your intro, your, your your crossover there. So when traffic is out looking for a buyer for for, for the Railhawks, what has the market been like, and, and and how close are they to actually getting a deal done? Well, traffic has been courting local investors here in the North Carolina market for some time, and they've been open about doing that and have tried quite a bit to do that. Not just for the influx of money that that would represent. But also because they readily admit they are an absentee owner. Uh, I mean, they they rescue the Railhawks essentially because at that point in the league's existence, they couldn't afford to lose any teams. I mean, their sanctioning would have been in, in dire straits in the in early 2011 if the Railhawks had fallen by the wayside, which is around the same time that AC St. Louis went away and and Crystal Palace Baltimore went away and the and Puerto Rico Islanders were were always in trouble. Uh, you know, Vancouver was going to leave for MLS. Montreal was going to leave for MLS. Uh, Minnesota was was straggling along as well at the time. So they they, they couldn't afford to lose the Railhawks, uh, and so they picked up the pieces and kept the team going. And and with the proximity to to college markets, maybe they thought that it could be a, a cog in their their player development model. Um, the situation is, I guess, this story first came about uh, from a, in, in a couple of stages. A, a website in Portugal, Rivaldo.com, has been reporting for at least a month or so that traffic was on the verge of, of divesting their ownership in Estoril uh, to some undefined British investment group, which they they define they identified as the Fidelis Company, and I think there may be a little more specificity to that okay uh on april 9th they reiterated or they they published another story that that claimed and I, they probably have some inside information on this that a quote pre-agreement has already been finalized regarding that sale and for the first time 
they heard through their sources that the Railhawks might be included in this deal, which was something that no one, at least I had not heard, and no one outside the Railhawks organization probably had heard. Um, and so I, I, I began the process of trying to track down some confirmation on that. I finally contacted Aaron Davidson uh, la- late last week. Uh, he was at the CONCACAF Congress in the Bahamas. And he confirmed on the record that, yes, and this is what I published in my post that was in WRLSportsFan.com yesterday, is that he confirmed that these discussions are real, uh, that the, the, the discussions regarding the possible sale of Estriel to this group, this British investment group, uh, have been moving along, mm-hmm. and that during the course of those discussions, they became aware, I don't know if traffic made them aware or if they just became aware, uh, that there was also this U.S. team in the portfolio, the Railhawks, and they got interested in, in acquiring that as well. Now, I, what we don't know, there's a lot that we don't know, uh-huh. uh, quite a bit. I think the, the the crux of the post that I established yesterday had served a couple of purposes. One, to disclose that there are discussions going on. One, that these discussions are real and could actually happen. Uh, something that I've verified sort of off the record from other people. And some general description of, of the potential purchasers and more importantly, an admission that it is possible that this, that any sale of the Railhawks could also involve a majority uh, sale, which was, which is something that has not been publicly acknowledged by traffic before. They've been quite, quite open about trying to attract the minority investors. This right. is the first time I've ever heard right. them saying they're willing to divest their majority stake. Well, I mean, what, what does it mean here? If, if, you know, from the way that you've described it, it almost feels like the Railhawks are a, a throw-in to the deal that would get uh, this Fidelis Group the uh, the ownership of Estoril. And at the same time, if you're if Traffic Sports is saying, "Hey, we're not a we're we're an absentee owner," even if they were looking for a a minority group to step in and help them uh, help them locally, if, if maybe they're still doing that. But I mean, you don't want to trade one absentee owner for another absentee owner, do you? Uh, there's a lot of fans who feel that way. Uh, but you know, if you've got an absentee owner that's not wanting to be that anymore, it's better to have one who wants to be, I suppose. Yeah. But, but, and I, and I go back and forth. I mean, yes, there have been local ownership, uh, local owners who have bought teams in this league and have been at least on their face and in the short term successful, uh, Bill McGuire in Minnesota, uh, Bill Edwards in Tampa, but at the same time, I keep, you know, I've had this conversation with a number of Railhawk supporters who, who say we need local ownership. Well, that, that would be nice. And there's certainly some big names in this area that would be nice if they would all of a sudden wake up one morning and decide they want to dump some money into the Railhawks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the Wellmans were local owners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they lasted two years and the team almost went under. And if it wasn't for traffic, they would have. So, you know, I, I think it's more. It's not <clears throat> local versus absentee. To me, it's more of the the interest and the energy of, of the owners themselves. Now, if it's a throw-in situation, that's obviously cause for concern. You know, you never know when you say throw-in what the dynamics are. Sure. Whether, yeah. but because you know, Estoril may be a team that's in, and I've read this in some quarters that it may be a team that has quite a bit of debt. Uh, I don't think the Railhawks are in that boat. Uh, they're a team like most in the NSL that is not 
making money. I think there's probably only one or two in the league that are. But I've heard from multiple places, including other team owners who would have access to the information and and not and could be objective, that the Railhawks are a close to break even club. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not leaving money. Okay. Uh, so from from an investment standpoint, if you have an overseas group that's looking for some toehold in the U.S. market, uh, it's not a and especially in the in the Raleigh Durham area, which it's you know it's not New York City, but it's not. Dayton either, right? Uh, it, it wouldn't be a terrible thing to get, especially if you can get it as a package yeah, deal with mortgage uh, team. Well, let, let, let me finish up here with just sort of your assessment of how attractive the Railhawks would be to any to any investor, local or otherwise. Obviously, there's a there's a, a greater pull on the civic pride element for a local owner, but you know, as you said, they're they're based in Cary. It's it's not in Raleigh, but it's close. And you have uh, you have Raleigh Durham as the market. You have a you know, you have they are part of NESL, which, while growing and and striving for things, is still clearly second division. Um, where would you put them in terms of just their attractiveness? And I'm not going to ask you for numbers on what they're worth, but is this is this a real is this a strong investment for for anybody really? Um. I put you on the spot, Neil, and I may have lost you. Are you with us? All right. We've seemed to have lost Neil. I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe his microphone just cut out on me there. Uh, we can that was, that was terrible. Completely set up that entire question and then uh and then lost Neil Morris. Let's try let's try to get him back really quick and then I can uh I can re- reset with that question and we'll um we will uh move on and take phone calls here. So get ready for that. Um, we'll take plenty of phone calls. We'll take your phone calls on whatever is on your mind. Neil, are you back with me? I am. I don't yeah. know what happens. I know. I, it, it happened. So we set you, I set you up with that question, the attractiveness in terms of the, the sale of the Railhawks. What, what, what kind of – where do they fit and what's their value? Not, not their valuation necessarily, but their value as a soccer club in a, a mid-sized market. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Something is just not working with Skype today. Neil was about to answer that question and it did not work out. I think that's probably uh I think that's probably a hint, right? All right. So we'll we'll maybe we can get Neil Morris back on the show in the near future. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Open up the phone line. Soccer morning on a Tuesday. Worldsoccertalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, phone lines now open, 646-832-3909. Anything on your mind. CONCACAF Champions League tonight. Club America selling out Azteca for that match. This is this tournament. I know, look, it's the final. Of course, it's going to be more, there's going to be more attention on the final. You have the opportunity to go win a, a trophy than on some previous rounds. But it just feels like, it absolutely does feel like we're making some progress. Maybe not a lot of progress. Maybe the CONCACAF Champions League is not attracted to everybody in every town across Mexico, Costa Rica, 
the United States. Those Central American cl- clubs did a good job selling out some most of their games. I don't remember back to the group stage last year, but clearly through the knockout rounds, been mostly good crowds for these tournament games. And we know Montreal is going to, uh, what's their number to now? 58,000 or something at Olympic Stadium for the second leg. Now they have to go play well enough tonight to make that, that leg matter. But you're going to, uh, you're going to have an opportunity again to win a, to win a championship, to win a title. Game starts at, sorry, it's tomorrow. I, did I say tonight? I meant tomorrow. The game's tomorrow. Wednesday. Nine o'clock Eastern, Fox Sports 2, Unimas, live from Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. Should be fun types. I, I don't know what Frank Lopez is going to do with his team. They've been a surprise at this point. Yeah, I got to be careful. You can't give up a bunch of goals, obviously, but you, you can't. You, you got to go try to play a little bit. Club America, the most talented team in, in, the, in the region. They make, make them the best team in the region. Really, really tough for Montreal to get this done. A couple of notes here from David Fellerath, a friend of ours who's down in North Carolina as well, and covers uh, or used to cover soccer. David, are you covering soccer anymore? Let me know. Two two random facts about Estoril, who we just spoke about with Neil Morris, part of that sale to whatever this Fidelis group is, with the Railhawks maybe included. Their stadium is smaller than Wake Med Soccer Park in Cary, which is where the Railhawks play. And they finished fourth last season after Benfica, Sporting, uh, Lisbon, and Porto. So they, they did pretty well for themselves. Small club, Estoril. I think I remember when, when we were hearing about those American players like Tony Taylor, Galega Basumande, Greg Gomez. Uh, when, we, when we heard about them, they were in the second division, I think. I don't think they were a top division team. So they've obviously done well for themselves. Maybe that's why none of those players could ever get on the field. They clearly needed. Uh, they clearly had some aspirations, getting up to the top level, and finishing fourth in Portugal. When you're not one of those three teams, Benfica, Sporting Lisbon, and Porto, and you finish that high, that's hey, that's pretty damn good. Pretty much everybody's playing for fourth place in that that league. Usually, usually, six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. You know how the web show works, and this is going to be especially true as we get closer to the serious date and the serious show launches. We are here after we talk to whoever's on the show to, to give us insight and information, and we had two excellent guests today. We are here to take your calls for as long as the calls come in. If you guys want to get in on, uh, on any topics, I'm happy to, to address those. Doesn't really matter. Talk soccer, man. Sitting around, shooting the S. Talking soccer on a Tuesday morning. But we're only here for as long as you guys want us here. Trevor's got to go take care of that voice of his. He's got to go record a, an R&B album, actually, from the 70s, I think, is, is on his uh, list of plants. Go get a bearskin rug and put it in front of his fire. That's what you... That's what you a dozen roses in the corner, right? A couple glasses of wine. I don't know who you're going to be entertaining, but I just feel like this is the... If you have that voice, you might as well take advantage of it. And I know this is a big tease because nobody can hear it, but it's way down here. He's like, hi, I have a chest cold. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you get some voiceover. Maybe we could get you some voiceover work, Trevor. Maybe we could do that. I had this thought I, uh, the, uh, the other day. Um, 
I guess yesterday. It was yesterday when we announced Sirius, and Sirius XMFC actually put it out on Twitter that we were joining that network starting on May 4th, 11 a.m. Eastern, Channel 94. Go buy a subscription. I made a joke after that. I said, this whole thing is just a platform for me to pitch my soccer sitcom, which I then decided to call Through Balls because I think it's funny. But then I started really thinking about this. What would a soccer sitcom, if I was going to pitch a network with a soccer sitcom, what would it be like? What what would it be like? Would it have? Would it be an odd an odd couple kind of show? You have the fastidious Brit who comes over and plays with the sloppy his roommates with the sloppy American player, something like that. I I actually told you ever. I think we should have a, a a designated player who's making millions of dollars and his best friend on the team is a guy on the minimum salary, and then they have to figure out how to get along and live life and do all this stuff. Guillermo, you're on the air. What's up? Good morning, everybody. Hey, how you doing, man? Um, I'm just uh, over here wondering, uh, with the new, um, you know, high-paying position at the satellite radio, <laughs> when Don Garber actually calls in, because uh, the, the Call Jason campaign, it's ongoing. I, I, I want to remind you that the uh, hashtag sure. Call Jason should okay. be on everybody's tweet, tweet, tweet outs. When he does come on, will we get at least a few minutes on the free side? Uh, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going to go. I, I, the goal was to always have Garber on this show. I think it's Garber4SM, I think, is the the hashtag we'd prefer. Because then you have you identify him and you have the show's initials. But I think that the goal is to have him on this show so everybody can hear him appear on this show. Now, if we get him on the Sirius show, I'm more than happy to do that. But again, you'd have to, you'd have to, have, you'd have, to have Sirius in order to hear that interview. So, we, you know, we are... We're looking forward to the to the platform and maybe the power that Sirius is going to bring in terms of booking guests, and we hope to get some really good guests. But I I really want I want those people. This is the show for the people. We're gonna that's why we're doing this show. We're gonna keep this show going. This is the show for everybody. You don't have to pay a dime for this show. That's where I would love to have Don Garber, Guerra. Well, I I'm really looking forward to that. I really hope that uh, we do get to hear it on this side. I do have the exam. But unfortunately, at 8 a.m., brother, because I'm in the West Coast, right? right? You right. are not competing with the Teletubbies, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but for the next year or so, Whoa. you're going to lose. Whoa. I- I'm going to have to question your parenting skills, Guillermo. Come on. The Teletubbies? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> Like aren't they like aren't they done? Like people don't even watch Barney anymore. My kid, my kid's six. He never watched a second of Barney. Mostly, mostly because I maintained a strict no Barney policy in my house. But there was no Teletubbies either. That wasn't happening. Get him. Get how old's your kid? Two, two years old. Two. He, two. He's barely. He looked at yeah. the sounds and the movement, and, and it really yeah, that's true. You, you, you got to have the bright colors, <laughs> the right colors, and the the funny characters. I I, I don't know. Yo Gabba Gabba's too much for him. A little trippy. Is that what he's doing? We have that. Yeah, we we have that on demand. Actually, we we play it whenever he feels like it. But uh, but anyway, like uh, I do listen to the show live. Um, at really, really early right now. You're on my uh, TV screen. Uh, the the radio I'm gonna have to hopefully you guys will have it on the on demand podcast that uh, um, XM usually puts out yeah it's it's yeah. really uh, uh, just another extra button perfect. on there perfect perfect yeah de- definitely do that. I appreciate the call Guillermo thanks a lot man yeah we we will definitely be there you goes uh, Guillermo we definitely would love to get Garber on any soccer morning branded uh, show but I would prefer my gut says it should be on this show. I mean, I'll take what I can get. He's a busy guy, apparently. Doesn't have time for us. 
but we, you know, we, and we got some stuff lined. We're lining some stuff up. We got, we got, uh, what? Three weeks? Not even three weeks. How, how much time do we have? How many days do I have left until we, until we launch Sirius? I need a countdown clock. Somebody work on that. I should put that all like over my shoulder here or something. Just so I know how much time I have to get ready until we do again, nine o'clock shift for this show and 11 to one on Sirius. Let's go to Washington up in New York. What's going on, Washington? Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going? Poor Trevor, man. Get that man some tea. Poor guy. <laughs> Did you hear him? Yeah, anyway. it's pretty good though, right? Don't you think, don't you think like he's got, it's not Barry White because he doesn't have the soul for it. He's too white for that. <laughs> but don't you think he could definitely like do some voiceover work? I mean, you ever heard the? There's a guy that does like radio voiceovers for like I think it's Fox Sports. He might even show up on TV. His voice is actually. Like, I think he's better meant for those, uh, the, you know, the trailers and the movies in a world that didn't exist. It, he should do one of those things. In a, in a world, yeah. All right. So, what's on your mind today, Washington? <laughs> well, no, I had a general question. Maybe you can settle a bet here because I was having an argument with a friend of mine yesterday. You know how when uh, you win a championship, and I just use the World Cup as an example. All right. Um, for every uh, title that you win, you have a star over your crest. Yes. How, okay, I don't know if FIFA has regulations for who can wear it and who cannot. Because if you look at the Brazilians, right, the men's side have won five World Cups, but the women haven't. But the women have the five stars over their crest. Where if you look at the United States, the women, I think, have won two titles, so they wear two stars over their crest. But the men who have never won a title don't wear any stars over their crest. So do you know what the rule is for that? I don't. I I don't. Um, I think it's. I mean, obviously, FIFA. Sh- I I don't know if FIFA should have rules for that. I mean, the U.S. women wear stars. The U.S. men don't. Obvious for obvious reasons. Right. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean that that. But the, 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 and this is what started the the argument yesterday was the the Brazilian women. I think they've only won two titles, but they wear five stars because the men wear the five stars. And what what we were talking about last night is um, the stars are accredited not to the men or the women, but to the soccer federation, uh, which represent both the men and the women. And then somebody said, "Yeah, but then the United States should have two stars. Right. The men's team should have two stars over right. their crest." Right, but, and that's not happening. Yeah, so, but that sounds like a like maybe there's some double standard things working here or whether or not maybe even a you know sort of a, a I'm not going to say a sexist element to it but there's certainly something to be said for you know the direction in which those stars are going if you know what I mean the Brazilian women Yeah, yeah I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I, that's weird stuff. I don't know if I want to get into that cuz I don't want to put that on anybody but you could argue that well I mean you could argue look obviously the the Brazilian men winning the men's world cup is, has been as long been a, a higher profile thing and the women's world cup didn't exist for for most of those titles. Right. So you know, right. to, for those to go in to flow in that direction to the women, you know, that's something. Oh, we're going to take pride in our men's team. Whereas in the United States, and I'm not saying that they don't want to wear the stars. I think the men would happily wear the stars if FIFA made a rule that specifically, you know, that, that definitely said that. I, I just don't know if that's an element in it. It's, a, it's an interesting question, Washington. By the way, before I let you yeah. go, before I let you go, uh, and we're going to wrap yeah. this up in a bit here. Um, I had an idea for this. I'm going to throw this out there. We're going to we're going to workshop this with everybody. It might be just for the web show. Since that's where everybody can listen, uh, if you don't want to get the SiriusXM satellite uh, subscription coming up in May, I'm thinking about pa- I'm starting this idea of regular callers, guys I like or w- women I like, whoever calls in. If you're a regular caller and you contribute a lot to this show, I'm thinking about giving you the option to to pick a soccer morning shirt number. Would you like that, Washington? Have a soccer morning shirt I number. I would like that. That would be cool. 
Now, I, I have to decide who gets first pick because I don't want a bunch of people getting mad at me that number 10 is gone. I, that just isn't going to work. No, I don't want number 10, dude. Okay, I want good. number 5. Just, just okay. so you know. You know what? It's been my number since I was a kid. Uh, let's do it right now off the top. Uh, Washington from New York, regular caller, getting in with the first soccer morning shirt number, p- taking number 5. I dig that. Thanks a lot, uh, right. thanks a lot Washington. All right. Thanks there, a lot, man. Thanks. There, goes, uh, there goes Washington. Good stuff. All right, dude. A couple more calls if you want to get in. Three, sorry, 646 832 3909 is the phone number. We've got a lot of moving parts around here. Trevor's throwing me notes about other stuff. We're just, uh, we're just moving along on a Tuesday. If you want to get in with, uh, with something else before I get out of here, now is the time to do so. Um, I, so I've got this, uh, I got the sitcom idea, which you guys can throw those out at, uh, soccer morning on Twitter. Uh, cause I'm thinking again, I'm thinking like, okay, give me a, st- a setting for this that works. And I want it to be American. I mean, we're, we're talking about an American sitcom. Like I, I, I want, I want, I want this to have a very American soccer vibe to it. So Matador, which I referenced with John Tannenwald, which most of you probably never saw, which was on El Rey, was this soccer spy show. He was an undercover CIA operative playing uh, for the Los Angeles um, team. What were they called? The Riot, the Los Angeles Riot. So what can we, if we, if we change it around, make it a comedy? What can we do? Maybe a guy owns a sad sack professional soccer team, and it's one of those like office comedies, but there's some some soccer action as well, and he's got some characters on the team. I'm thinking this is going to work. And and if any of you, he lives at the stadium. I, exactly. He's a this guy has barely enough money to keep this team running. He's trying to market the team himself. He's trying. He's doing the field work. Yeah, yeah. We could definitely make this work. This is this is uh, this is <laughs> this is how this is how American soccer works. Low level stuff, low budget. By the way, for both for everybody who's hitting me up on Twitter, taking uh, trying to take certain numbers, you got to call in, and I have to bestow this. I'm not going to be mean about it, but you have to call in. I'm not going to just give it to you over Twitter. It's no fun. Let's go to Allen in Michigan who wants to talk about Greg Vanny. I I sort of alluded to this rumor when we talked to Tannewald, but there is a rumor out there that Greg Vanny's job is on the line. And that there might be an Italian manager coming in. I don't know how real this is. I think people have denied it. Well, what's on your mind, Alan? Is there any team in the world that would fire their coach before they've had a home game? I, I think it's happened before. I mean, maybe there ha- there aren't many leagues where this sort of thing happens because stadium construction is not always an issue, and you get that out of the way during the off season. But I, I have to imagine it can't be the the only team in the world, but probably not very many. Maybe on one, you count them on, on one hand, Alan. If they do it, it's ridiculous. If they do, I'm not saying Greg Vanny's the right guy, but give the man a year, another year. Like, let him get through this campaign. Seriously. And as you said, before their first home game. Do you think that he's on the hot seat now, though, just on the basis of this rumor, though? Uh, wait, well, the rumor creates the heat, which then this team responds to. I don't know about that. That's, that's, that's some weird, that's some weird, uh, stuff. I don't know. That's, I don't think that that's likely. I, I, I don't know yeah. if the rumor's true. And I don't know if the Italian element is true either. But again, if it is, it's ridiculous. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve some heat, but at this point, you can't fire him. It seems like he needs to have at least a little bit of a chance to to do something, but uh, the the response on Twitter and on social media from the TFC supporters shows everyone's nervous. We we, we seem to be in this Groundhog Day mode. 
I, always, but that, that's one of the constants. It gives, it's like a, it's a warm blanket for me, Alan. I'm sorry about your team, but it's a warm blanket for me because, you know, <laughs> you can always count on TFC to have some issues. I got to move on. Appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. There goes Alan um, talking about TFC and Greg Vanny's job. Let's go to David in Arizona who wants to talk about Steve Tarundolo, who, by the way, does not have his license, so he can't be a manager in Germany yet, but he is moving up those coaching ranks. What's going on, David? Hey, Jason. First of all, congratulations on the serious thing. i, I got to figure out if I can get it on my iPhone. and But uh, if I possibly can, I'll, I'll definitely be uh, following you on that. So that's awesome and it's well-deserved. Appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, uh, no, no problem. Steve Sherundolo, you know, I just want to say this. Americans abroad, you know, for me, this is the biggest story in some time. I know it sounds like it's minor. He's just an assistant coach. doesn't have his badges yet and all that. But, um you know, for a, an American to have an assistant coaching role in a, on a Bundesliga team is a big deal. Hopefully he does better than uh, uh, Vasquez. Uh, uh, that may have been more about Klinsmann. Well, so, I mean, I'm really those, to see how clearly those are very different situations. Klinsmann took Martin Vasquez with him to, to Germany after having worked with him in the U.S. Or, or getting to know him in the U.S. That was He was an outsider. And, I, and I'm not saying that Martin Vasquez uh, deserved to stay at Bayern, clearly, uh, Klinsman gets fired. His staff goes with him, but he was an outsider. Steve Trinillo is the ultimate handover insider after his career. Right. So hey, again, Jason. You know, uh, I, you know, if you're gonna, if you need to give out a number for me, and I, I'm begging you to do so, please. Uh, it'll be number thirteen. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll call that provisional. I don't know about giving out a bunch on one show. Washington got in today. It's inaugurated. The idea is out there. You're definitely a regular, David. I think eventually you're going to get your number. So let's just let's call it on unoffi- oh, okay. Let's like call the, it official right now. It's like the world football. It's like the world football phone in where I've got to earn it over a period of sure, years. Sure. Or something. Well, no, no, no. Well, I don't want to. Anyway, yeah, so I, I appreciate the call, David. I don't want to make it, I don't want to make the bar too high. But I just I, I'm just saying that you know I can't I can't have like a spate of numbers given. I can't fill up the entire team. Now look, there are 99 available numbers. But I don't think anybody's going to be dipping into the 70s. That's probably not going to happen. All right. Let's wrap this edition of Soccer Morning up. Uh, we'll put a nice little bow on it here. Thank you very much to Jonathan Tannewald and Neil Morris for uh, showing up and giving us insight into their uh, respective areas. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Robert says that the sitcom I'm describing is the USL. Well, not exactly. But, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, go to uh, backhill.com slash store. Buy yourself uh, a beautiful soccer morning mug. We have t-shirts over at 3nilfc.com. If you, if you have a t-shirt and you wear it out, especially in a soccer setting, give me a picture. Love that stuff. Uh, yeah. Sirius XM FC starts on May 4th. I'm just going to keep beating this, uh, you know, beating this into you guys because some people are still a little confused as to the, w- the way this is going to work. 9 a.m. to 10-ish, 10-plus-ish, we're going to have the web show worldsoccertalk.com slash live as always that show will be available via podcast on itunes and world soccer talk for free backhill.com for free then from 11 to 1 we do the sirius xm show that show will be available only to sirius xm subscribers so there you go that's pretty simple pretty clear they do have an app by the way as trevor has told me so if you uh want to listen that way if you don't if you're like i don't have sirius xm in my car well no problem it's on an app you pop up the app you plug in your phone your bluetooth your phone you can listen on your desktop at work as well. All of this stuff. They make it very easy. 
Modern technology. It's fantastic. All right. I expect to get a million tweets about shirt numbers, so we'll deal with that. Thank you very much to producer Trevor and his bad voice. His lovely, actually. Very sexy voice for his, his work on today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Big Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you guys then. Bye. Bye.